Good evening, everyone. Um, my name's Carly, and it's been a joy so far to worship with you, with Julia, Rita, and Matthew. Um, I hope that you're all enjoying your summer and uh, the flurry of activity that that brings, but also for some of us, it actually is a time to wind down and um, pick up a bit of a steady pace and grow in intimacy with God. So we're thanking God for his provision this summer in connection with our family and friends and community. And the reason why I'm here tonight is because Greg's actually away with his family, visiting his family, um, and that's why I'm just filling in for him tonight. But um, let's continue to lift him up in prayer as well as he's having this time of rest and refreshment. So yeah, Greg asked me to speak tonight on the topic of teach. Um, and I've got to be honest, at first, when he asked me, I was a bit hesitant on whether or not I was the right person for the job, the right woman for the job. Um, I was reminded, though, that as a mum of two young, beautiful boys, very often you have to learn something quite quick and then implement it straight away. Um, and, um, or even just remember that you do actually know something and that you can teach it. I was only baptised here about a year ago, and um, I thank God for growing me in his word, in the faith and in fellowship with all saints. I, I thought I'd share with you really what God's been putting on my heart over the last six or eight months, um, and what I've been studying in my free time. So tonight I've chosen to look at Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, um, and on this page, it's on page um, 1001. Um, Throughout this sermon, I'm going to be referencing in the NRSV, which I'm currently using to study at home. Now, I know Becky, you spoke on this briefly this morning, didn't you, when I was watching, I was watching from home. <laughs> um, so it's good for who, um, those of us who've attended both services to bookend um, with this. This passage is often known as the Great Commission, but there's actually a Great Commission in all four Gospels, and I urge you to have a look at those when you get home. But let's read together. Are we all there? Are we ready to go? Cool. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. So for the purpose of tonight, I'm going to split these, um, this bit of scripture into two sections. The first section I'm going to call the setting, and the second section I'm going to call Jesus' orders. So verse 16 to 17, the setting. Here we have 11 disciples, so that's minus Judas, up a mountain, attending a meeting that would change the course of history forever. Now this is actually a meeting that we're still invited to, of course, as these instructions still stand. All nations haven't been saved yet, and um, he's with us to the end of the age, and that's not happened yet either. So why do the disciples worship him when they see him? Because worship is where we start in our recognition for who God is. It's honoring what he has done and what we trust him to do. It's submitting to him, and it's giving him, or 
even returning to him that which is rightfully his. It's coming back to the only reference point for our lives, the creator who created everything. We know that we were specifically designed to host God, his power and his authority. So here they worship Jesus, who is the point of access to the Father. As Jesus once said to Philip in John 14, verse nine, once you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, this is comforting to us that some of them doubted this little bit of detail here because it's easy to forget that these men who went on to do miraculous things in the name of Jesus, they weren't 100% convinced when Jesus was right there with them. But they came anyway. Even when we've got reservations or what um, you were sharing about emotions, when we're weary or when, whether we're frustrated, it's important that the doubts don't keep us away. It's important that we push through and we worship him regardless. What are the dangers of retreating? Sin happens when we live outside of the will of God, which becomes much easier to do when you're apart from the body of Christ. You can be a believer for a long time, but as soon as you start to isolate yourself from him, we start to malfunction. So we have a responsibility to one another when we're in fellowship to notice when someone is absent and to encourage them to attend, even if they have to bring their doubts and their questions with them. And we're reminded in this passage that despite how we are feeling, that we're in really good hands. Jesus chooses to impart this precious information to a group of fallible men. And as we read on, we discover that these ordinary 11 men, once filled with the Holy Spirit, do extraordinary things. They're given boldness and power, and we see this in Acts when Peter heals at the gate beautiful and when he adds 3,000 souls to the kingdom. And we hear in Acts 17, verse six, that they turn the world upside down, or even the right side up. And they're witnesses for the faith, which is where we get the word martyr from. And obviously all of them were, all except John, who was persecuted with hot oil, but he lived into an old age on the Isle of Patmos which is a bit of a detour, but <laughs> let's get back into the passage um, for a minute. Because for us to accept this mission, we have to accept the claim first. So verses 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why does Jesus even need to state in heaven and on earth? Why can't he just say all authority has been given to me? Let's unpack a bit of the territory that he's talking about. When he says heaven, we know that he at least means third heaven, which is where Michael and all the angels are. Second heaven, that's where Satan and all the demons are, who have to therefore submit to him. And first heaven is what we can see. And then we also see everywhere on earth, that's all of the natural world, that's all civilizations, that's all societies, all religion, all race, every background, etc. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is called a Christological statement, which basically just means it's a really easy and concise way to biblically prove that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the absolute de deity, that there isn't a middle ground. He's not a prophet 
or anything other than divinely sovereign and appointed by God. Here Jesus fulfills the prophecy in Psalm 2 verse 8 which says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Let's move on now to verse 19. Is everyone still with me? Yeah, okay. Go, therefore. Now, in my notes, I've put go in capitals. <laughs> and if I was gonna add a D, it would say God. And if I was gonna add a spell, it would say gospel. And I've heard a lot of people here really emphasize the word go and um, emphasize it doesn't say come, it says go. But why do we even need to make that differentiation? When I was really little, I used to catch fish with my pa, with my granddad, um, out on the Great Lakes in New South Wales in Australia. Now I'm aware that sounds really beautiful and idyllic, and 100% it was, but I remember thinking about um, the thought of going fishing really like turned my stomach. It was really gory and really brutal bonding time and I remember just being really like struck by it, how it kind of rocked my world a bit and wanting to fast forward that time to the eating bit, which obviously never lasts as long. And there's that saying, that famous saying that um, if you want to catch a fish, you can't just sit on land holding a frying pan because you'd be waiting there, well, you'd be waiting there forever, wouldn't you? But that is often the church's approach when it comes to evangelism. We expect people to come in and hear the praise and the worship, see the lights on them, and walk in through the open door. And now don't get me wrong, this does happen, I've seen it happen here. And we should be ready for that, definitely. But the statistics say that only about 5% of people who come to know Jesus in their walk do that by coming into a building. According to Dr. Stephen Jenkins, 80% of people who come to Christ come through personal invitation through witnessing, through preaching the gospel, and a personal touch through genuine friendships. Church itself is a created culture. So when we leave the door open, what we're asking people to do is just to walk in to a culture that they don't know they're even invited to. Some people will definitely cross that bridge, but most won't. And if I was gonna flip it round and I would say, do you, if you were being invited by someone who likes to get drunk on a Friday night at the Bussy building, you'd be a bit wary about going there with them because of your beliefs and your culture. We need to go to them. We need to go and tell. But it says here, not go and tell, not just go and tell. <laughs> it says in verse 19, tells us to go and make disciples. And then when we look at evangelistic models, when I've been looking at evangelistic models today, a lot of them are all about um, decisions and not about the discipleship bit because discipleship obviously means investment. It's a long-term strategy and partnership. Disciples here doesn't mean making Christians. And each one of us here, we're called to disciple and be discipled. Okay, let's look at the baptizing bit next. We recently experienced the joy of celebrating baptisms here at All Saints. Baptism isn't a choice, it's a Christian act of worldly disobedience. Once you make disciples, you mark them. It's the physical building block in a process of a lifelong conversion. Now let me just read from 1 Peter 3.21 from Paul on this. He says, baptism 
now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Again, that supports Matthew 28, doesn't it? That all power and that all of that authority. And then we follow baptism with biblical teaching, straight up biblical teaching. Because everything that we do need to live out our lives is in this manual that we've been given because there isn't anything missing from it. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. It says that we need baptism, our conversion after accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior because he's our ticket into heaven. And discipleship, that is walking that out. A disciple is someone who is learning how to live a fully submitted life to the authority of Jesus Christ, to fully accept that it's not you or anybody else directing and making the calls in your life, in your family's life, or your business or the church. He says all authority, and that means no one else has any. And sometimes we like to think of him as a bit of a remote authority in a way that we can... um, have him as a passive presence where we can sort of turn down the frequency or the volume when we don't like what's being transmitted. No, it's not that. (laughs) Um, This next part was really interesting to me. Um, I got taught about this next part of the, um, this next word. So the, the Greek here for all nations is actually the word etne, which is where we get our word ethnic from. So the goal isn't just to go to another country or to another nation, but it's to look at this more like people groups. In every nation, we have hundreds of people groups. And in Peckham, we have an example here of an area containing many, many different groups of people. They all need to be reached. I want to give an example here um, to try and understand the scale of the mission of what we've been given. So Papua New Guinea has a population of 9.5 million. That's quite a small population, but even though it's small, there's over 1,000 known people groups in Papua New Guinea alone. And according to the research that I'm bringing here today, approximately there are 17,000 people groups today who haven't yet heard the name of Jesus. So there's a lot of work for us to do before the prophecy in Revelation 7, verse 9. Every tribe, every language before the throne can be fulfilled. We need to get on with teaching and we need to get on with evangelism because it is on us. We won't see the fruit that we want to see unless we become the embodiment of that which we want to see. Because Jesus didn't just come down to fulfill an assignment. He embodied the whole assignment. God came down in Jesus, who walked the earth with God's spirit. And then he ascended into heaven. And now that spirit is on the inside of us. And often, 
we're living really too far below with that, since we know that that's the truth. We're living below what we could be doing, what's been deposited on the inside of us. We do have to walk it and not just talk it. We do have to back it up with our behavior and with our lives. But proclamation is verbal. It's not just visual. If we're not all meant to preach the gospel, why does the Bible say it so many times? <laughs> and um, why does it also say that faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ in Romans 10, verse 17? I wanted to share some personal reflection points. What is the evidence that I'm a Christian? Is it that I can pray for or prophesy over another Christian? Is that enough? Our nation needs to know that God is alive. And when we remember that that spirit was given to us without measure, we realize that we've only just started scratching and there is so much more beneath the surface. Mature, fruitful, faithful disciples come from obeying, being obedient to everything that he has commanded. We looked here at the Great Commission in Matthew tonight. And again, I urge you to each um, have a look at the, all of the gospel commissions to draw up what Jesus is commanding us to do so that we can be equipped to be the disciples that he designed us to be. Julie and Rita, do you wanna come up? Thank you. And finally, just to wrap up, in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. It's through preaching, not foolish preaching, but the foolish act of preaching. God understands the resistance that we've got, what's holding us back from preaching the gospel, but going ahead with it anyway really pleases him. Because he says to us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, I think that street preaching is for today. Yes, I think we should be getting prepared to publicly testify our faith in large and small ways. Yes, I believe he wants us to evangelize in buildings too. And wherever else might seem foolish to the world. God loves it. He's asked us to do it. It is his way. It's wisdom to him. We need to get on with it. What I'd like to leave you all with here tonight is the intention to prepare because this sermon was intending to teach you to prepare so you can prepare to, to teach. He will give us the power to do it and power is another great sermon topic for another day um, because we won't be without his power. But we remember that he is the sender and we can prepare. And maybe you're in a season at the moment, which looks a bit more like a preparation season, or maybe it's a hidden season, or a season that doesn't seem to be bringing that much fruit. Maybe you're not really sure what season you're in with God right now, and you wanna seek God about that tonight. Maybe you can pray with the, um, the prayer team. Please stand if you're able.
As we prepare to be sent and prepare to go, we prepare to preach and we prepare to teach. We prepare to disciple and be discipled. God can help you by His power to preach something impromptu, but He can only really work on what we already have there. God can sort out the boldness, the place, the how and the who, but we can be prepared, organise what we might say, what we might proclaim. We can revisit our own testimony. We remember that something's already been attained for us. We can do this. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that when you say to us, I am with you always to the end of the age, it's not a promise, it's just the facts. You are here. You are Emmanuel. We worship you, Lord. And Jesus, we repent of our pride. We repent of our arrogance and our doubt. Forgive us for thinking that we could do any of this without you. When we've behaved like you haven't got total authority over all of the earth and us. Lord, we come to you saying, we need you. And we want to receive fresh tonight your great commission. We know that we have nothing to offer anyone without you. We cannot go unless you send us and your presence goes with us. Lord, we want your words in our hearts and in our minds and in our mouths. Teach us how to disciple the nations, Lord. Give us a burden to preach the gospel. Help us, Lord, in our preparation. And Jesus, we want to be fully yielded to you. We do not want to fall short. We pray this in your mighty and matchless name.